0: For the first time, I was dealing with something where it's like, oh, you've just labeled me when I never had that label before. Whereas my experience and my existence prior to that surrounded by a lot of multiracial kids and families. And it wasn't until I got to college and all of a sudden I was a minority. All of a sudden, there was not a lot of me, and I I stick out a lot more. But my saving grace was the theater department. I was an actor. I was in a place where there was a massive amount of acceptance because we were all sort of fringe people. So it's like, all of a sudden, you're not the only outsider here. Hi, I'm Lou Diamond Phillips, and I'm a modern minority.
1: Welcome to Modern Minorities.
0: This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different.
1: I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City.
0: And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee.
1: Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world.
0: It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority.
1: This is a show about all of you, for all of us. I'm so thrilled to share that today we welcome Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips is best known, at least to me anyway, from his breakthrough role as Richie Valens in La Bamba, which was filmed in the 80s. You might also recognize him from Stand and Deliver, where he was nominated for a Golden Globe Award. He's also played the king in The King and I, as well as a number of other notable films. Lou's with us today because he's recently been in a brand new film called Easter Sunday, which is a hilarious movie about a Filipino American family starring Joe Coy, Tia Carrera, and many of our other favorites. Lou plays himself in this film, and he tells us that it's the very first time he's ever played a Filipino American on screen. So how appropriate that the very first time he represents his own culture is also in a role where he represents himself. I. Loved talking to him. He's been someone who I've watched on screen since I was a young girl. And I just remember even back then knowing that it was a really, really big deal to see somebody on screen that looked so much like me. I'm not Filipino, but he was one of the very few Asian American actors that made it to the big screen so early on. And I'm saying early on, which really was in the 80s. So maybe it wasn't super early, but at least in my own time so far. And he's always been a really notable character for that reason. You will be very thrilled, I think, with this conversation. Lou is thoughtful. He is open. We talked a lot about his childhood and where he grew up and what his experiences were. Lou's also dabbled in a couple of other projects off screen since you may have last seen him in some feature films. So recently he wrote a book called Tinderbox, which he talks about as well. Turns out that one of his dreams growing up was to be a writer. And so he made that come true finally just a couple years ago. So we're going to put some of that stuff in the show notes. We'll definitely link you guys to Easter Sunday as well. We hope you see it. It's out in theaters now. I really enjoyed it. I, I went to the screening just a couple of nights ago with my husband and we really, really just loved seeing so many Asian faces on screen, but even more being able to laugh about things that are just so uniquely hilarious about families and what families do when they get together. So I don't want to spoil it for you, but definitely check out the film. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou, it is such an honor to have you here with us today. Thank you for spending the time with us.
0: Well, thank you, Sharon. Thank you for what you do too. I think that it's enlightening and informative for a lot of folks out there.
1: Thank you. That means so much. And it it means a lot that you'd be open and willing to to share a little bit of who you are with us today. I know you, many of us know you from La Bamba.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Many moons ago.
1: Many, many moons ago. But Lou, I'm wondering, a lot of our guests get this question a lot and they often are asked, where are you from? (laughs) How would you answer that question? Where are you from, Lou Diamond Phillips?
0: Yeah, well, that's code.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: The where are you from is code for I can't figure you out, so I need some sort of context. And that's hopefully they'll say something that is revelatory in some way, like, yes, I I was born in a village in Cambodia or something. But because (laughs) the answer for me is so much more complicated, I usually say Texas. (laughs) <laughs> really? And they get really, really, really <laughs> confused because I sure don't present as a Texan.
1: <laughs> and then what do you say then? Do they usually follow up with like, no, but Lou, where are you really from?
0: Well, that's, that's a very good question. The other version of that icebreaker mm-hmm. is what's your nationality? Yes. Th- th- that's the wrong term entirely. I say, well, I'm an American. Right. No, no, you, and, and that's where the, what I mean comes in. Yeah. And it's like, "Oh, so you're talking about my background. You're talking about my heritage. That's what you're talking mm-hmm. about." Because mm-hmm. as far as nationality is concerned, I've been an American my entire life. Yeah. So th- when they're trying to ask that question specifically, then I kind of have to give the long version of the story, which is my my biological father, Gerald Upchurch, and my my stepfather, George Phillips, were both in the military. They were both in the Navy. And I was born in Subic Bay a Naval Air Station in the Philippines and then raised all over because we moved almost every two years, settling down finally in Texas. So, what's interesting for for a lot of people, they they assume a lot from my roles, mm-hmm. the roles that I've played, and the fact that I've been very very privileged to represent so many different communities. And with the movie Easter Sunday, one of the first times, uh, and certainly one of the biggest opportunities to actually play a Filipino. And so, I'm Filipino mostly on my mother's side, but strangely enough, because it is such a crossroads island. I have Hawaiian, I've got Chinese, I've got other Polynesian Pacific Islander blood. And then on my father's side, I'm Scott Irish with a drop of a Native American. And so it makes people, it's difficult for them to pin me down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you've got so many cultures in you. That's, I, I don't even, I didn't realize you had such a big mix
0: and such a myriad of cultures. I, I'm part Scandinavian too. I mean, there's there's oh some vi- there's some Who Viking in there. Yeah, but they <laughs> they they inserted themselves into. They had boats. They had really really good boats. So they made it all over the place.
1: <laughs> You're so funny. And so you would say Texas. How old were you when you arrived in Texas?
0: I was 12, actually. Okay. So I mean, I, I spent a lot of formative years there. I mean, prior to that, my dad had gone to Vietnam, and so we were when he came back, we went to the Philippines for four years. So I returned there and and had a great opportunity to sort of touch base with that aspect of my uh, my own DNA and and, and, and yeah. the culture and I was older so I, I knew it and this is after having lived in Florida and Georgia and Washington mm-hmm. State and a lot of those other places when I was much much younger and then moving to Texas at a time when I was going into junior high school and then high school right. and college I mean that those were I- incredibly formative times for me
1: yeah so compare the difference between you as a child or a young a young person preteen in Texas. And I'm assuming there were not a lot of people that looked like you or even had the exact same makeup as you do with all these cultures. With your travels around to other places where maybe there were more familiar folks just from an outward perspective, what was that like?
0: Well, you see, that's, and and this is the thing. And I I think the thing that a lot of people don't get is that I was a military brat. Mm-hmm. And so all of the places that I grew up, including Corpus Christi, Texas, where there was a naval base, I had a number of mixed blood friends. And thank goodness for the military. I mean, that's, a, that's us be, being ambassadors around the world. So it was not out of the ordinary for me to have Filipino American friends or, or other, other Asian mixed blood kids around me. And so interestingly enough, I didn't deal with what I would consider to be a lot of racism early on in my life, hmm. and, and, and it wasn't until I got to college, man, in, in areas where all of a sudden I was a minority. All of a yeah. sudden, there was not a lot of me. I went to college at the University of Texas at Arlington, and uh, you got Dallas, Fort Worth there, sure. And not not to not to be too arch about it, but it's like I could get a job as a busboy, but they wouldn't hire me as a waiter.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Did you feel like you had to do anything to fit
0: in? It's, it's so odd because I, uh, for the first time, was dealing with something where, where it's like, oh, you've just labeled me when I never had that label before. And, and, and that's when those questions, like the ones you were, you were leading to, were mm-hmm. much more asked, like, where are you from? What's right. your background? All of that, because now all of a sudden I was being categorized. Whereas my experience and my existence prior to that, surrounded by a lot of multiracial kids and families. I yeah. mean, even even where I went to high school, we had a lot of Latino kids, a lot of African American kids, and, and and certainly a lot of Filipino American kids from the Navy base. Yeah. So now all of a sudden I I am in a predominantly white city neighborhood area, and and I, I stick out a lot more. So. I didn't feel like I had to change myself or adjust myself to, to to fit in. I mean I, you know, I think I went to one frat rush and then realized I don't want I don't really want to be in a fraternity <laughs> to be quite honest. Right. But right. but my my saving grace, my saving grace was the theater department. I, I was I was a, an actor. I was in a, a place where There was a massive amount of acceptance because we were all sort of fringe people, you Mm -hmm. know, and and sort of dealt dealt with having really, really gay friends for the first time in my life, which was a wonderful thing, too. So it's like all of a sudden you're not the only outsider here.
1: Yeah. What did your parents say when you told them you wanted to be an actor? Because most Asian parents Mm -hmm. would probably fall off their chair. (laughs)
0: <laughs> what, what's really interesting is that, is that my dad was in the Navy, George, yep. and yep. Mom, mom was a housewife and, and, and Filipina. The thing that made everything worse was that I was a really, really good student. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. graduated. Yeah, I graduated fourth in my class. I was school president for mm-hmm. like five years, captain of the football team, just really a president of the student council. Yeah. So there was there, there were high expectations for me to pursue some sort of academic career. But I wrote in high school. I acted in high school. I won a bunch of awards because in Texas, we had this thing called the University Interscholastic League where we would compete in drama tournaments. Oh wow. And so, yeah. So early on, I was winning a bunch of awards and, 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 and getting that sort of positive reinforcement. So they knew I was good at it. Yeah. What they didn't Anticipate was that it was possible to make a living, because right. I'm, I'm a, I'm a middle class kid from a middle class family. Sure. But when I got the the advantage to getting to Dallas Fort Worth and going to school in that area, was professional theater. I did a lot of stuff at Stage West in Fort Worth, but also it was a a big hub for, for film and television. The Dallas series was there. There Mm -hmm. were a ton of TV. Yeah. There were a ton of TV movies being made there and they were the number one industrial and commercial producer in the country. So I became a professional actor at 19 and, and they saw some of the stuff that I was doing and they, they saw them, you know, the fact that I was paying my bills being an actor. And so it, it never became a question after that. They thought it was a phase that I might grow out of. They realized that, that no, I could actually embrace this and do it for the rest of my life.
1: That's amazing. Did you always know you wanted to be an actor or did you want to be something else when you were super young, like a veterinarian or other things?
0: What, what's funny is that, is that the first time my dad asked me that, I think I was like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I didn't hesitate. I said, I want to be a writer. Right, and, and uh, he went. Well, son, you might want to think about a job where you can make a little bit more money. And I came back a year later and said, "Yeah, I want to be an actor." And he said, "That's not exactly what I had in mind." Right, exactly.
1: Exactly <laughs> you know? so the it was, opposite. Yeah, it was. It was, a, it was a
0: slow process. For and I mean, the beauty of it is, is that what just a year and a half ago I published my first novel. Finally, so I, I never let go of that dream either.
1: Oh, that's amazing. We're gonna sh- we'll, we'll include that as a link in the show notes. That's Please so do. Great. Yeah. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. It's, it's called The Tinderbox Soldier of I wrote it with my wife, Yvonne. She does 30 illustrations in it. The original idea came from her to sort of do a, a, a different take on Hans Christian Andersen's The Tinderbox. And so I turned it into a sci-fantasy opus.
1: That's very cool. Star wars Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. That's great. Our co-host Raman has a different podcast called Quarantine Comics. And this sounds like the kind of thing that they would want to read on that podcast.
0: Oh, they would dig that because it, it yeah. started out, her, her original idea was to do it as a graphic novel. And then I said, I looked at the, the panels that she had done. I said, well, this is a movie. And then I wrote the screenplay. And when I finished the screenplay, I thought, nobody's going to give me the money to direct this. <laughs> so then I said, well, let's write the novel. And then if Michael Bay wants to give me a lot of money, I'll, I'll let him direct it. Well, Michael Bay, if
1: you're listening, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's the next project. There you so go. So let's talk about your latest project, Easter Sunday. Which released at the, I think when we aired this it would have released probably last weekend. Great. How did you get involved? Like, what are your thoughts on it? And tell us a little bit about it.
0: Well, they approached me to play this character named Lou Diamond Phillips. Well, uh, no, I, know. I know him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought, hey, I think I can do that.
1: Right, right.
0: I, I think I'm authentic <laughs> enough for that. Yeah. So I, I, I had known Joe Joe for a while and mm-hmm. Joe Coy, who is the star of the movie okay. and is the inspiration for it all in his family. And he really wanted to, to do this this beautiful love letter to the Filipino community and, and just sort of thrilled that that he included me as as the OG. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the first Filipinos in, in Hollywood to actually kind of make it onto the big screen. So there was no way that I couldn't do it. We had right. to figure out a way to do it. And you the other thing is, I, I so rarely get to do comedy. I'm actually Emmy nominated for comedy, and but that's not the first thing that people think of when they when they think of me. And the fact that it's a Filipino movie, and I'm Filipino, right, you know? so right. this was this was an opportunity to really really embrace the roots and and put it out there. And we and we kind of make fun of it. I mean, one of the characters, Eugene Cordero, is like, "Hey, I, I thought you were Mexican," which is most people <laughs> really. And and I take that as a compliment, obviously, because I'm I've been Latino ad- adjacent my entire career, right? And I've been proud yeah. to represent the Latino community, the Native American community, all of that, and to try to do it with some dignity and respect. So uh, to be able to to bring that to to actually playing a Filipino is uh, obviously a a, a a real opportunity and one that I'm quite grateful for.
1: Yeah, it's pretty unique, right? Like it is, and I've seen it. So it really is a love letter. And I think it's, it kind of hints at or either overtly points out or just hints at cultural things right like filipino Uh family stuff and i'm not filipino myself but i've got a bunch of filipino friends and by watching it i was able to recognize and pick up on a lot of like what tita's doing and tito's doing and just like the way the mom talks to the son how much of that resembles things that you grew up around or, or or things that are true in your own life
0: It could have been, it could have been my story. It's hilarious. I mean, literally my mother is in a feud right now with one of her sisters. (laughs) And I mean, as we speak. Yeah,
1: about food or, right, exactly, their dish. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I don't. E- I don't even know what started it, but this is like the fourth or fifth time they've. They're never going to speak to each other again, and it's. She's not quite as overbearing as Joe Coy's mom in the movie, played by Lydia Gaston, by the way, who was one of my royal wives when I did the King and I on Broadway back in '96 and '97. Right. So it's a small world, and Tia Carrera and I have been friends forever. Yeah. So so much of it rings true. I mean, it is so. Specific to the Filipino culture, but being Asian yourself, I I, I think you can see the family dynamic and the the desire to to do something good, even even if it's not what your you know family or your culture wanted for you. I mean, there there, there's so much that applies across the board that that I I I think that even if you're not Filipino American, you're going to get a lot out of it.
1: Yeah, I think one thing that I really love. I'm not going to spoil the ending or anything, but I just love how when a family gets together. There's always the one, usually it's like a one of the grandkids or one of the nephews, one of the nieces that have made it right. Like there's always the one that has like broken through and is doing something different. And yeah. just the way they set that up here where Joe is the center of all that, it's just, it is just hilarious. So I really, I, I had a lot of fun watching it and I think our listeners are going to have a lot of fun too.
0: And it's funny. It's funny. It's, it's a hilarious. comedy that's funny. Thank goodness. Yeah, it
1: is really, really funny. I have, a couple of quick speed round questions. I know you're short sure. on time. So you have a couple minutes to do speed round with us?
0: Absolutely. Sharon hit me. Perfect.
1: What is one thing about you that no one expects?
0: Wow. That I'm tall? Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> six foot tall. I'm taller than all the other young guns. They would put me in the back and on the shortest horse. So I've heard that a lot. That I'm the father of four daughters. Wow. Yeah, and that I cook. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a very, very good cook.
1: What's your what's your best dish?
0: I see. That's just it. Like my career, I, I, I've not focused on one thing. I mean, I make I make dishes sort of, sort of from every cuisine, and I don't have a favorite food as as a, as a person, so I don't have a favorite food to cook. Okay.
1: Well, I have a I have a question coming about one of your favorite dishes that you like of someone else, but I'll I'll get to that in a second. Second question: What is a book or a movie with characters that you relate to? That you weren't in yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a, that's 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 a good caveat. Wow, that's a very good question. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful life. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. That's yeah, that's the first one that comes Classic. to mind. Only. Yeah, because I, I think hopefully we all try to do the best thing we can in life, and life throws you curveballs, and sometimes it's just so hard to keep going, and there are so many people that depend on you, and and. Uh, there's so much that's so true in that, and every every Christmas it reduces me to tears. And I always raise a glass to to all of the George Baileys out there, yeah, trying to take care of their families and do do what they can, and and still find a little something for themselves. And then to understand all the little things that you've done that that have impacted other people's lives, right? And, and spreading kindness, spreading love, spreading compassion.
1: Love that. Okay, here's the here's the food one. What is your favorite mom dish? What's a dish that mom would make?
0: Oh my goodness, that's easy. It's it's a Filipino thing, really? uh, and it's yeah, yes, yeah, the, the uh, pork and chicken adobo, mm. and it is so good, and is such a staple in my family. I do it very, very well, but Yvonne, my wife, who is German English, she she does a great version of it. My daughter Grace, who is only a quarter Filipino, she does a great version of it now. So it's just it's just what it's it's one of the most simple but satisfying dishes. It's it's got so much depth, but it's not difficult to make.
1: Sounds amazing. Yeah, who's someone out there that you'd want to talk to on a podcast?
0: Wow, there there are so many interesting people. Dead out or there. alive, I
1: mean, so it can be anybody.
0: Oh, dead! Wow, wow. Yeah, I'm following politics a lot uh-huh. uh, these days, and actually really really surprised by how many smart people out there. How many people out there I think ha- have a great take on what's going on. So I mean, conversations can can range all over the place. Gosh, when I when I try to think of one person right now, hmm. John Stewart's got his pulse on a lot of what's going on right now, and 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 I, I just really think he's he's fascinating, and I'm and I'm proud for how he's standing up. Bader O'Rourke, I would I'd like to I'd yeah. like to get his take on a lot of things because I think he's one of the people that can move the needle in a direction that I think we needed to move in. I, I've had the opportunity to speak briefly with Vice President Kamala, and
1: God, she's my hero, Lou. Can you tell her that I love her when you see her again?
0: I certainly will. Well, I mean, yeah, and she was so kind to my daughter, oh. uh, Indigo. We we met on a Zoom. I was doing a fundraiser for the Democratic Committee, and uh, yeah. and I said, please, do you mind if my daughter says hi? And she was so insp- Indigo said, I, I'm so sorry, I can't vote for you. <laughs> and she says, it doesn't matter. You are all you're already a voice. You are already a force, oh. and a Power oh. and she empowered my fourteen year old and and I happen to love that that my daughter Indigo <laughs> no uh, know, knows all uh, who politicians are but she also knows every single anchor on CNN.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that too. Yeah. Okay, final question and then I'll let you go. What does being a modern minority mean for you?
0: It means changing perceptions. I can tell you that right now. I mean, it's 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 like don't make our boxes smaller. Let's make them bigger and. I, I don't have to justify your perception of me. It's you know, it's very Popeye. I am what I am. And yeah. it, it, unfortunately, we, we live in a society that with the sound bites and the 160 characters and, and he headlines without reading the story, everybody wants their understanding of something to be diminished and to put into these small packages when the truth of the matter is who we are as individuals, who we are as perhaps mixed race Americans or immigrants or anything else is not easily digestible if you're looking for a chicken McNugget it's bigger than that and it's about understanding and education and representation and and I've discovered throughout my what 30 something years in 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 Hollywood that you you lead by example you walk the walk you don't just talk the talk
1: Lou that's a great answer and you have been an inspiration to us all so thank you again for spending this time it was such an honor getting to know you good luck with everything and I hope we talk again
0: Anytime. This this is a wonderful podcast. Thanks for having me.
1: And that's our show.
0: Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform.
1: Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three.
0: Want to learn more? or got something to share. Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom, at modmypod.com.
1: You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you.
0: That's it for now. I've been Roman Segal.
1: And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony.
0: Remember, we're all modern minorities out there.
1: We'll talk to you soon.